This is Facade Podcast Connects, brought to you by me, Doc Hodge. Doing our first inaugural episode, we chop it up with Ben Carter, hip-hop by the numbers, to get a global perspective of the culture and how it has expanded overseas. Go to ask us some questions about how he sees hip-hop culture, how he fell in love with it, his connection to Central Sauce, and just a little bit of culture appropriation. <laughs> My favorite topic. So put your headphones on, sit back, light your stick up, and coast into the first hip-hop facade podcast connects. Shout to Jay Dilla. This is life. Yeah, we own and pop. All right. Okay. So, what's going on How's with it going? you? How's it going, man? Oh man, it's it's a uh, it's been an interesting year. Yeah, it's been an interesting been year. I was, I was I was uh, reflecting about the whole um, W freestyle story added on. Um, Joe Budden getting expelled from uh, Everyday Struggle. You know, just even Temptation's yeah. death. Just about how hip hop is. Uh, just when you think, just when I thought hip hop couldn't continue to elevate in in the way of the, in the rise of these mumble rappers, <laughs> it conti- it continues to do so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, like, it's achieving, like, a new level of ubiquity at the moment, hip-hop. Like, I mean, it already is outcharting pop, and uh, it's just continuing to just become almost the definition of North American culture right now. It's, it's just top. It's on top. Right. Yeah. And, and even though, so even though you are miles away, from me, and so even so, even though we've had a previous conversation, let, let me pause right here to give you opportunity to introduce yourself um, and just kind of let people know where you're from before we get into you letting them know about your background and and how you engage hip hop and all that other stuff. Yeah, man, I'm uh, I'm from Australia, so I'm on the other world to uh, to most of the people that I'm connecting with and engaging with. Um, so it's been a it's been a crazy kind of thing to watch everything develop from far, and uh, yeah, man, it's it's just been really interesting. So it, yeah, hello from the other side of the world. <laughs> right, I, I appreciate that. I always wondered, even in a digital age, what is how do you measure? Not necessarily you, but just in general, how do you measure the impact, the cultural impact of hip hop globally? So even though I see it here in the streets, so I may see, so for instance, I grew up, because I grew up in Oklahoma, I would see East Coast MCs like mm-hmm. Wu-Tang, they would wear Redman, they would wear, you know, Timberlands with the bubble vest or coat, but West Coast MCs like Snoop, Ice-T, they wearing Dickies and Chucks. So I, I can see culturally how they presented themselves as part of the culture. Uh, in ways that led rise to, mm. you know, Sean John, Carl Kanai, Cross Colors, uh, even G-Unit clothing. You know, I, I, I see the, the cultural influence, but from where you're situated at, I see it happening in real time. How, how, do, you, how do you see the impact of hip-hop culture globally? It's, it's, it's like, I'm not at first uh, started really hitting over here specifically in Australia it was you know the early 2000s and it was really only the absolute people of commercial rap that we were getting we were getting 50 Cent Jay-Z uh, no one really had heard of Z until he did that joint with Beyonce uh, Crazy in Love and Ocho and Clyde uh, we had Jarl LL Cool J Snoop Dogg with Drop It Like It's Hot so what I've noticed over the last 15 years which has been really I guess it's interesting to watch because, you know, I'm 
yeah, like I started into hip hop when I was 13 and I started like researching and looking for artists outside of the mainstream. But I noticed that no one else in my area was listening to these artists and they certainly weren't coming to tour out here. So what I noticed over the 15 years is just this huge influx of what I would say two or three tiers below that top mainstream tier. These rappers are now touring Australia and like selling out decent sidelines venues and people are talking about them and having conversations about them. And I, I can't even really just attribute it to the rise of the internet because internet and social media was starting to block, you know, around 09, 10. And this has only started to happen in the last three or four years, say. And now people in Australia are more attuned and more aware of the huge like much larger group of rappers and so we're still very included uh, and the rest of the world too you know I, I, like I kind of immerse myself in the in the genre as much as possible but there is much stuff that I miss just not being on the ground and, and not being like inside that that kind of, yeah inside the myself like being so far away but just watching hip hop it's bigger than pop over here at the moment easily Mm. Okay, and, and that's with that's with. So, how frequently are there hip hop shows of large acts from the United States there? Uh, I would say like the biggest acts. You know, they they'll stop here. Like we Travis out here. I'm not going to call Malone hip hop, but we had most Australians would. But we have Post Malone out here. Uh, we had Eminem. Um, so I would say, like, you know, yeah, the top tier, like the real top commercial tier, talking like top ten albums, probably get five or six a year. And then underneath that, you know, maybe the top thirty albums, probably twenty to thirty a year. Okay, that's a lot of hip hop to consume. Yeah, man, it's coming out of here. It's 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 starting to blow up. All right. Okay, so how, so how's the so if you have twenty or thirty shows from major artists that are from the United States, what's what's the what's the status of hip hop locally? So if, I, if I'm a, a local Australian artist, like well, like what is the role? So I remember part of the rise of hip hop is was connected in the '90s to popular the popularization of radio, along with BET um, and uh, MTV having shows that showed hip hop. And so you have radio programmers rushing to program hip hop music. In this era, in the now where you at, what is as an aspiring MC who's in Australia, what's my path to stardom or a notoriety in Australia? I mean it's pretty similar to it's actually what I, what I've noticed like researching Australian hip hop is we're probably about fifteen years behind American hip hop sonically and regardless of what you're talking about there. So where in America I'm watching a lot of people pop off social media, just exclusively off social media. That isn't really happening yet in Australia. So similar to what you said is happening in the nineties with radio specifically. Radio is still a huge part of blowing up and, and becoming oh, like building a fan base. But there's a radio station here in Australia called J, and it's run by the public broadcaster. And basically, you know, they're breaking backs. They're, if they're playing regularly, then you're going to start setting out shows really quickly. But not really blowing up hugely off social media. There's a couple, like Triple One, I think they're called. Uh, but they're normally like quite big, bigger overseas. It's still the same grind. So I, I know I follow a few independent and underground rap who live in Australia, and it's the same thing, just doing shows, open mic stuff, uh, doing small venues, and like building a local buzz, and then once you've got the local buzz, then it starts hopping from city to city, and then you can start touring a bit more widely. So it's, it's kind of old school in that sense. It's definitely a bind to, to get to the top now. Okay. Well, look, so let me ask you this. So I'm curious about, this is probably the hottest year in the United States as it relates to diversity of female MC that is touring, 
that is, you know, on the mic, that is through social media where we have an awareness. So we got, so that was a time when Nikki might have held it down for seven straight summers with no competition. You know, there was no one cutting through to uh, even challenge her, her rise to the throne. But now we got, you know, we got Cardi, we got Megan, we got Rhapsody, you know, we got uh, Tierra Whack. So it's, it's a lot of female MCs who are getting an opportunity to, and, and some of the music is better than them, some of the male MCs in the States. Uh, and so, but there in Australia, yeah. what is it like? How, how do you hear, how are you exposed to, to women in hip hop there? It's getting better. It's getting better, honestly. Uh, I've kind of watched, I guess, the American scene. It's paralleled in Australia. I think 2019 has probably been one of the biggest years in American hip-hop music, female rap, in the last decade. Like, you know, there was basically no one except Iggy, uh, Cardi, and Nicki hitting the top 10 in the last 10 years. But this year, we've got Megan with... yeah, you know, we're starting to like really get into it. Lizzo as well. In Australia, it's, um, I would say that there's definitely a push towards getting more women into the mainstream. And I don't think it's I don't think it's an inorganic push. I think they're making great music, and it's finally being recognised. And they're building up a fan base the same way male rappers are, and, and people have realised, yeah, women can actually rap, which is crazy that it's taken until 2019 to get to this point. But it's, I guess it's better late than never. So it's it's kind of paralleling what's happening in American hip hop at the moment. Okay. And I, so I, what I want to do is, so I want to pause here. I want to fast forward. Well, I want to step back just a second. The so for the listeners, if you're on Twitter, so I live on Twitter. But if you if you're on Twitter, yeah. hip hop by the numbers is the first quantitative data source of how to measure the impact of hip-hop, either from a longitudinal way or just a snapshot of what's happening when something goes viral. And so I want you to tell us, tell the listeners a little bit about hip-hop by the numbers, uh, how it transpired, and uh, your vision for the now and in the future, especially in, in this era of streaming, where we don't know if what is reported as streaming is is viable, right? So if, if Spotify is responsible for reporting their own streaming numbers, <laughs> how, how do we know that those numbers are accurate? So so give us a little bit about the history and uh, your vision yeah. for the now and the future as, as hip-hop by numbers. All right, well, yeah, I got some thoughts on that, on the Spotify stuff, but I'll start from the start. I mean, uh, I, thought I started at Yes, I was in the community at Yes, and I spent about... I think probably three years, and then I started thinking about statistical stuff. Like the first thought I had was I was doing a lot of uh, metadata, so I was, like adding engineers and what uh, studio songs were recorded at, and I was like, man, there's some cool studios like Flying D and D. Like, like I wonder how many you know amazing hits have come out of like mine, and so started doing some statistical stuff yes and then I actually went through a period of really severe depression and literally all I could do any day was sit down and watch the Kardashians and count so I started counting how many times Little Wayne says the word pussy his entire career because I was like man this is a question that a lot of people have, I hear it a subjective discussion you know people are always talking about this it took me about two months to his whole discography and uh, yeah I, I wrote the article and put it on Reddit and it, it went pretty viral like people liked it so then I started thinking and this could be a thing you know taking, taking discussions because because I used to be a reviewer I used to work for a website called Food Shout Out Beard Food but like you know, I would post views and then I would think, well, why would anyone care about my opinion? You know, like, I don't even know who I am. There's not really any kind of trust equity between me and the people that are reading it. So, so I want to bring a more objective point to hip discussions. And it's, it's not even the answer to a question a lot of the time. It's more just like maybe these facts will inform you during your discussion. 
maybe they won't. And so, yeah, I started grabbing, like, big things, like, 20 times the game name drops during his career or things like that. And they started going, well, uh, just just on Reddit and on my own. And a lot of people were saying I should start a YouTube channel or really start doing something with social media. So I just hopped on Twitter in August last year and started, because I had this data, I had so much data in my mind keeps working and I work pretty hard I spent a lot of time gathering it and yeah I just jumped on Twitter and posting out these little I guess snippets or just you know fun facts and interesting things and when something went viral or an album came out I would just kind of sit think about a new angle to analyze it from and really honestly what I, I want to do here is I would really like this to be kind of like an archive of things that just people have never discovered or heard before. You know, this morning I tweeted out that, that uh, The Dreamers 3 is the most collaborative hip-hop album to ever go number one. I was thinking to myself, like, man, if I didn't, if I didn't run those numbers, like, one would know that piece of, of history. So it's not really uh, me. It's just about, like, adding to the conversation and bringing a little bit of extra knowledge and hopefully some entertainment to yeah people and and uh, you know i live on twitter too man i'm on twitter i I never get off and we have some fantastic discussions over there like really cool discussions just great people and you know you get a lot of hate there's a lot of hate there but that's okay people are entitled to opinion but like some of these uh discussions i've been having with people it's been so enlightening to me and so I just really like that these statistics have been a jumping point for the discussions. And that's, I guess that's all I really want to do is just continue. I think these, I think that's a cool, I think, honestly, I sit down and I, I spend a lot of time trying to work this stuff out. And my goal is just to have as many people as possible be informed by it. I think that's really, is a really valuable thing. Right, absolutely. Uh, when you said that you were depressed, so part of the reason why I created the Facade Podcast was because I had these anger issues with dealing with everywhere I went, people would call me Dr. Hodgkins outside of being on the academic campus. And so I felt like I couldn't be my authentic self because they had expectations that go with the title, right? And so even though I wasn't, I wasn't yeah. depressed, my anger led me into a creative space in a similar way that your depression led you into a creative space. Uh, where content, content, the yeah. result of that was content was developed that pushes the culture forward. And so, I, yeah, I, I, I can identify with it and I appreciate it. Well, one thing I also want to uh, get into was, so I've been seeing, I've been, I've been interacting with, I don't want to say they, so it's, they're on Twitter, they're listed as Central Sauce. And so, it's a it's a uh, hit, yeah. yeah Central Sauce to me is like a it, an, it's an unorthodox portal that can give you a panoramic view of what the culture looks like in a different way than the Source or XXL or World Star. Like it's it's uh it's more journalistic to me, and so I, I kind of want to know how you mm. how you came across Central Sauce, uh, what your role is in it, and how you think that it shifts the culture. I mean, Central Source, like, I, I, was, I was working on my own blog, and the guy who runs Central Source, Carter, came to me. He, he saw me on Reddit, and he said, look, I'm, I'm creating this collective. I've got this website, and I love your stuff. And I was, personally, I was spending, like, night of my time promoting my own stuff. I was so exhausted just tweeting stuff out and putting stuff on Reddit. And he said, we've got this platform. Uh, you're going to be the first writer involved do you want to get involved and I said yeah sure absolutely and I, I had like a two hour video chat with him and he was just so passionate about changing the way that we spoke about hip hop like first off he said to me no clickbait we're not clickbait he said we're not doing anything he said if you discover something we're posting it and we're not going to try and spin it around and, and get more views out of it, we're just gonna keep it authentic and we're gonna keep it to the facts. We're gonna try and entertain people, but definitely 
inform people and, and just give people a new goal. And I've watched it over the last 18 months into something truly beautiful. Like the writers that uh, brought on are now writing regularly for DJ Booth. Both of them are editing for DJ Booth. Uh, one of the guys that he brought on who lives in Australia is now like one of the, I guess, premier interviewers. So he's interviewed Jay Rock, interviewed a bunch of people, a bunch of authors who have come out here. It's just, you know, it's, I, I, also, I best group chat in big journalism because there's like 10 people in there who are just super talented and very passionate and very engaged and just want to create the best content possible and I'm really I feel blessed to be even just part of it I, I, I just it's it's kind of like an outlet for me if I want to write an article there's always a home for it always a space for it and I'm I'm very grateful for Central Source but I am a little bit curious like have you how do you feel about it have you engaged with it much or what do you see it as from, from afar right so for me so I I ended up I looked at, so I have a critical lens around racial and gender equity. And so one time I, there was a yeah. a post that they posted on Twitter about journalists or wanting some journalists, some writers or something. And I think I responded saying there are no female, there's no women writers on Central Sauce. What's up with that? And so the, the response was, you know, right. well, yeah. we, we're working on it. And if you know anyone who writes about it, or who any women who contribute to the culture as writers let us know and so that's that's how it first got on my on my radar because i'm like okay well the fact that they responded that way says that they're interested in being a space of equity for women uh who are cultural a part of the culture i saw an interview with uh with megan the stallion she was getting she was getting interviewed by somebody and this this guy was just extra misogynistic like he was asking her questions about the what she wears, about her sexuality, in ways that if he was interviewing Hove, he wouldn't even pro- approach those questions, right? And so it just got me thinking about as because women have never really had a voice in the culture on the writing side, right? Mm. It got me to thinking. Well, you know, the Central Sauce is they got some good articles. It reminds me of some of the pieces that they've done. Remind me of. When XXL got first created, so I was listening to the so- I was reading the source heavily in the '90s, and then there was a well, it was reported that there was a, a dis- some disagreements and some mix-ups, and so XXL, one of the founders of XXL, was part of the source and created something totally different. And the XXL to me read like a newspaper, like it was informative. There were um, Explorative pieces that where there were deep dives into the culture, but it was also, you know, who's the dopest MC? And so I felt like I could pick up XXL to get a, a holistic experience of what the culture looks like in ways that the source just focused on the music. About telling me, you know, what was dope. Every time I bought a source, I'm flipping to see who got five mics, who got four and a half mics, right? Like to me, yeah, balloon, yeah. balloon Mind State to me is De La Soul's greatest album. It only got four and a half mics. And I remember the dust up behind that, behind him only getting half a mic and for the fifth mic. And so it was just, you know, I was more concerned about the rating of the albums than I was deep dives in the culture. And so XXL gave me that outlet in ways that yeah. as I look at Central Sauce, I'm thinking, okay, they're doing, they're, they're trying to cover the whole of the culture. And so one thing I, I really didn't like about the coverage, whether it's whether it's XXL or the source, is ninety percent East Coast hip hop. Like that's that's what they cover, and I see mm-hmm. I see Central Sauce is covering as attempting to cover the culture at its whole, right? So there may be topics about uh, Snoop and Dre, but they may also cover uh, Kanye, or you know they may cover I don't know Flatbush Zombies or some somebody that just gives the whole of hip hop, and that's that's what I'm looking for. So I'm. Yeah. I'm in, I'm impressed at how they've they've risen so far, but I like to see them push the pail and get into some deeper topics around race, around gender, around uh, how artists are exploited by labels, and especially in this world of streaming. Like even listen to the Joe Budden podcast, 
And he always asked the question, what is a stream worth? And so to me... Yeah, what is a stream, yeah. Yeah, what is a stream worth? And so I'm like, one, one time I was... Uh, so I got the Starbucks app because I drink... I might, I might drink half a gallon of coffee a day. But the app, every time I'm in close proximity of Starbucks, I get an alert that asks me, do I want the drink that I ordered last? When is the last time I was there? And so it makes me think like, this is all about mapping my behaviors so they can predict. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so they can predict how I should spend my money. And so that's kind of uh, yeah. yeah to answer your question in a long in a long way, like I like what Central Sauce is doing, and I just want to see. I wonder how the writings would be if they had a diverse staff. If they had five women writers, one from Atlanta, one from Milwaukee, one from you know uh, the LBC. Like if they had a variety of spaces, then they could really get into unearthing what the whole of hip hop and how it looks. Yeah, like I was actually thinking about very thing the other day because I was uh, messaging a friend and just saying, "Oh yeah, the guys from Central Source," or I was speaking to the guys from Central Source, like, because because personally I see females just represented in hip hop, like it 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 boggles the mind when you the the produce even female because you look at that there's been like the Hot 100 tracks in the last years has been like one percent of been, have had a female credit and one of them was Minaj in her own song so I look to myself like firstly uh, it's very hard I guess for Central Source to recruit because we're independent you know, we don't have uh, financial backing and we don't pay right yet at the moment so anyone who's on Central Source is is writing yet yeah, out of the love and, and out of passion and, and these articles do take a lot of time and effort and uh, I guess what I find it's quite rare to find people who are willing to put that time and effort in. I've been part of at least 10 other startups, startup uh, websites where they just died within two or three months because they didn't go viral. and I would definitely love to have why I'm, I'm sure Carter would like, love it. He's actively trying to recruit regularly, so I, I, I totally hear you. And I actually find DJ Booth quite good. I'm not sure if you interact much with DJ Booth, but I find them quite in giving that like kind of holistic, like maybe not holistic is the right word, but just a snapshot of every part of of hip hop, not just grabbing you know, click the headlines and grabbing, like, trending, like, deep diving into all sorts of artists and stuff they're doing in Mac Miller is incredible. And I think it's very valuable. Um, with regards to uh, speaking about, you know, inequity in hip-hop, and I feel comfortable speaking on uh, female, like, the inequity female rap, but personally, I feel super comfortable talking about uh, racial inequity or any of that kind of stuff. I think, you know, I don't want to blow central source up, but I think 90% of our writers are white. And so we do struggle a little bit in that sense with just being respectful. And it's not our, it's not, well, I'm just going to speak for myself. It's not my culture. And so I find it really difficult to write that stuff and to, to do deep depth into it. Because firstly, I didn't grow up in it. Secondly, I don't even live over there. And, and thirdly, it's, yeah, I just, you know, don't feel comfortable with it. So, but I think Central Source, man, I, I would, I, I'm always aghast that people are, are so engaged with it and, and willing to contribute to it. And I think you're up. I think it could really be something special. And, Everyone's just putting the effort. I'm really proud of those those over there. Yeah, and, and to add to what you said about, so so I've often had these conversations about the colonization of hip hop. Uh, outside of just global colonization of people of color, but just within hip hop, right? And so we, we've had these discussions about what is an ally, and what does that look like in the culture. Right, and so when when I I was glad that Joe Budden mm-hmm. did the interview with um, Russ, 
And so the one thing that Russ said that yeah. stood out that yeah. stood out to me was when he said that record labels use black MCs as weapons of mass destruction. Like that, that I heard, I really heard that. Because when I think about the Eminem, I think about Eminem, Macklemore, uh, just the the list of even back to MC Search, even the BC Boys, right? And, and I think about the contribution. So when I think about the formation of Def Jam, Rick Rubin is just as important in the formation of Def Jam, right? He he's the super producer if you, if you'll have it. He's the he's RZA before RZA's time. Right, if you, if you pull out the credits of Run DMC, LL, uh, BC Boys, you pull out those early artists. That's all Rick on the production, and so. But I felt like Rick was he was he was navigating with Russ, like they was creating together. You know, with Russell Simmons, they were creating together, right? And it wasn't a um, he didn't come in as a corporation and say we we want to monetize your labor. And benefit. We're gonna own your masters. We're not gonna give you this deal unless we own our ma- we own your masters. We're not gonna tell you what a stream is worth, so we don't have to pay you for it. We're not gonna have a a where where streaming is equal across all platforms, so they all pay the same amount across platforms, right? We're not gonna do that. We're just gonna be corporations that that eat off the culture. So I figured like Rick was he was building the culture, and so when you say that. Central Sauce is like 90% of the, of the writers are white. I wonder about, so I appreciate, first of all, I appreciate your, your humility in the, in the work that you do. I appreciate that I've seen you go back and forth on Twitter with people who were hostile, and you still remain calm and humble in ways where when they were disrespectful, you could have just went all the way left, and you didn't, so I appreciate that. But I feel like the work that you do is about building and, and elevating the culture. Not to say that you're the Rick Rubin of data analysis, but I could say that, right? <laughs> if I wanted to, I could say that. I appreciate the work that you do. But, but I'm mindful. I wonder like, how many other white males who are in the culture are like you where they say, I'm not a part of the culture. I'm, I'm not black. I didn't grow up listening to American hip-hop as it was happening live. When you say it's 15 years behind in Australia... I mean that's that's man. I I hear that I'm like man. 15 years ago, that's amazing when I hear that, right? And so I just, I just wonder about I have yeah. cons- I don't have concern about Central Sauce yet. I haven't seen them make a misstep yet, but I just wonder how mindful they are about including voices that don't look like theirs. Now not just them, but like colonization of of hip hop culture is when you exploit it to me, and I don't see them as exploiting the culture. But I don't want them to get into a position where they are. Yeah, like I totally hear you on that. Uh, I've got a few thoughts on that. I mean, firstly, with Central Source, I mean, obviously, I can't speak for the other the other writers, but uh, I've been in those those group chats, and you know, everyone's just all love. Like, there's no we're going to do this so we can get we can go viral or we're going to do this so we can get more clicked or if we wrote about this topic you know it's just love and passion for the culture and it, it, it's like I'll just speak from my personal experience and, and one of the reasons why I guess I do respond with not, not hostility or anything on Twitter is because I'm still running and that's what I. That's the part which I really love about Central Force is these these guys are always learning. Like they're always open to criticism and open to constructive criticism and open to changing behaviors and, and understanding and admitting when they've made a mistake. I've never heard anyone on that website say, you know, oh no, I'm right and they're wrong or anything like that. It's like okay, you've got a criticism. Like let's listen, to it, let's understand it, let's see what we can change. And so I have a lot of I have much faith that that website, you know, no writer is, is going to make a misstep. But I think, and you said it, you said a lot that I listened to that Steve Stout interview on uh, Rap, Rap Radar. It was Rap Radar, right? And he was saying that he was working at a label, and he just he just looked because it was like the way that they're treating rappers right now is, and we did this on our podcast, just look at the way that people have monetized hip-hop, but then 
they they money to the art, which is great. But if you if you stop there, that's great. But then then they have just man, they it's 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 crazy to me, and it was crazy to speak out in this interview. A hip hop label could own your masters. They buy them for you, and now they own them. Like that is crazy to me. And Steve Stout was like, it's uh, renting an apartment. Like you pay rent. Pay for all you pay for all utilities. You pay for everything, and you pay when you pay the mortgage. You just you you don't own it. He's like, how how can that be? You creating, but you don't own. You create, and so I was very interested to do this uh, chat you because I've been listening to your podcast and and seeing you on Twitter, and I'm always uh, again I don't know what the right, right way to say it, but like. I'm, I'm trying to be super vigilant not to... Because I, I, I love... Well, on a basic level, I just love hip-hop. And I love the culture. And I never, ever want to disrespect it. Because that would just be... Well, I don't know anyone would ever want to do that. Because it's just ridiculous. So, my question would be... Where is that line? Like, where do you think the line is where it goes from being respectful and contributing to profiting off and I don't know how else to say it other than maybe, yeah, just profiting off the culture that you're not a part of. Where do you think that line is? Right, and so so Vlad TV is a perfect example of exploiting the culture for profit. Yeah, okay. And so Vlad has, so I often say, like, so, so for instance, you mentioned the Kardashians. So I think I think the Kardashians are a perfect example of identifying and then owning the signifiers of blackness. And after that, monetizing monetizing blackness to the point where you don't need black people for it to be authentic. So for instance, I give you an example. There was a so since African people were brought to the United States on slave ships wearing our hair in different ways, so whether it's in Bantu knots or cornrows, that is a a way of styling black hair. So I remember it may have been two or three years ago, it may have been Kylie, one of the Jenners, had her hair braided in what black people would say are cornrows. But she called it boxer braids. And so people, black Twitter was in an uproar, saying, you know, how can you repurpose a signifier of black culture, call it something else? So she just put a remix on it, <laughs> and then people were saying that black people were biting Cali's style of boxer braid because they don't know the history, right? Uh, and so, to me, that's, that's an ex- crazy, man. Yeah, yeah, to me, that's an example of it, right? So, and it, within a hip hop context, yeah, okay. yeah. so I'm a, I'm a Wu head, right? So my my uh, Wu Tang is in my top five list of hip hop groups, like in no order. So for me, duo, the greatest rap duo is Outkast, but Rap groups, I consider Woo, N.W.A., The Roots, even though it's a band, uh, a tribe called Quest, uh, like those four groups are the main ones for me, right? But out of Woo, Ghostface Killer is one of the greatest MCs in the Woo. So when I when I first heard a song by Action Bronson, I thought it was Ghostface. And I was like, man, oh, Ghost, Ghost got some new material. And then come to find out, I was like, when the era in the 90s, MCs tried to go out their way not to sound like somebody else. So when you heard Grand Pooba's voice or uh, or Snoop or Easy es voice, when you heard those, or Nas, nobody else was trying to sound like them. So when I heard the action Bronson, I was like, yeah. who is this MC? And then I was like, oh, okay, he's white. So is he... That's an example of me of colonizing the culture. You're taking, you sound exactly like ghosts, I would say on purpose. Right? To the point where if people hear ghosts, after they hear action, they're going to think that ghost was biting action. In the same way. So Action Bronson is cornrows. He's a boxer braids to ghost face cornrows, if you don't know the history of the culture. And so to me, to me, that's the line. The line. Yeah, I'm getting that. Yeah, the line is when you're. Is if I can go, if I can experience black culture without black people, that's where you cross the line. 
And I think that happens a lot in hip hop culture. I'm take it. Yeah, go ahead. I'm take it like just a little further and say, and just because I can say this because I'm white, but I'm just going to say like the way that I'm interpreting that, it's a white person taking something that is inherently hip hop or, or not of their culture and then elevating it to their own self-serving, I guess, uh, agenda via their own privilege, which, you know, as white people, holy shit, we have a lot of privilege. Like, it's unbelievable. And then it's, it's, now, it's now on that level of I'm the majority and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not attributing this to anyone, by the way, I'm just kind of like uh, abstracting off this concept. And then, yeah, you're right. Like, uh, I'm thinking about it now. That That's totally crazy to then think that uh, uh, black people are biting Kylie Jenner style. Like, that's scary. That's genuinely scary to me. <laughs> right? Yeah, and so that, that's, right. that's, just an, that's just an example. And so I'm, I'm mindful that, so when they came out with saying Kylie had like $900 million, and she's like 19. And then they ran a parallel saying that Jay has $900 million, but Hove is like 48, right? But part, part of that is, yeah. so because Kylie is involved in fashion and a lot of the images that she uses, to me, mirror the signifiers of blackness, right? So she may have, she may have larger lips. She may wear her lipstick where her lips look larger like a black woman's lips will look. But she'll get credit for that styling. People will be drawn to her lips as full, but they won't be drawn to black women's lips as full. Right? And so she monetizes. So people are like, well, you know, Callie, I, I read some stuff on Twitter that was saying, uh, essentially saying that she was more of a businesswoman than Hove was a businessman, not realizing that Callie was born into the system. She was born into wealth in ways that Hove wasn't. So it makes sense that it took him took 48 years to become a billionaire and it only took her 19. That makes complete sense to me. And so even though she's hip-hop, yeah, she's hip-hop adjacent. I tweeted out. Go ahead. No, go, yeah. Well, sorry, what was that? I was just saying, she's hip-hop adjacent. So she she's in the, she's taking elements of hip-hop culture and monetizing it at a mainstream level where, uh, where the mainstream is already located. Hove is part of the hip-hop culture, so the mainstream has to come to Hove in ways that Kylie's already there, so they don't have to come to her. Yeah, I tweeted out the other day that, uh, that you know, for white people, the door is already open, and we literally just have to walk through it, and that's it. But for everyone else, firstly, they got to get the door, and, and it might take years to even get to the door. A lot of hard work. Where are you then? And then... When they get to the door, they got to open the door. They got to break it down, or they got to put the wall down, or they got to find another way through. The door isn't open to them, and it's like it's like being being white and being amongst a lot of white people. Uh, we are so unaware of our privilege, and so it. I see a lot of people calling out, calling out white privilege and calling out disrespect to different cultures and then I see a lot of pushback against that but to be honest it's so valuable to do that because when you have this privilege you grow up with it you don't un- you aware that it even exists because it's just the way it is you, you don't even know and so I'm always a little bit uh, I think people can make one mistake where you might do like obviously we're not talking about Kylie Jenner here like that's, that's a lot of you know that's that's a the stuff well like maybe someone can one mistake but if you get called out on it you've got to change your behavior and right. so i just want to tell people and, and wanted to let listeners know if they've been lit up calling out white privilege or calling out appropriation that's okay keep doing it because it's very valuable and it's very important to let people know when they're fucking up you know i guess that's why i always respond with humility on hip-hop numbers because Again, I'm not aware some of the time. I might say something really disrespectful or, or and, and I just certainly is not my intention. But um 
to other people, and it's up to obviously it's up to me. I, I, as much research as I can, but if someone something, I really would like them to say something because otherwise I can't learn and I can't perfect. And so yeah, if people see something like this, call it out, speak on it. Right. Yeah, I, I concur. Two thousand percent. And so I want I want to steer left a little bit about yeah. hip hop numbers, right? And so to me, your, like your Twitter, okay. when I go to your Twitter page, it's uh, it's I don't want to say it's micro studies, but it is it is comprehensive information that quantitatively maps what's happening in the culture at a snapshot in time, right? And so, like you said, I think it's ten years from now there'll be volumes. Well, I, right now you have 9,843 tweets. Ten years from now you may have 36,000 tweets, but it'll be a historic documentation, like you said, of what has happened in the culture over time. And so out, out of all the work that you've done, mm-hmm. which, which project was the most difficult to do and which project was the most profound where when you, when you found the data, you were blown away because you didn't expect it to be that way? What you know, because when you said like, I, my my mind started ticking. Like, wow, I've done so much, so many different projects. But the thing that really blew me away was when I actually sat down Christmas Day, Boxing Day in 2017, and looked at hip hop versus pop between in 2016 and 2017 in the top ten uh, across albums and singles. And I was like, I had this theory that hip-hop was a popular genre in North America and it had overtaken pop. And, you know, pop is ubiquitous. Pop is everywhere. Pop is, oh, that's, that's what pop is. And it took me two days to gather the statistics. And when I saw, I think uh, hip-hop had outcharted pop by some huge margin. I, I don't have the stats on me, but it was like more than double. Mm. And I was like, whoa, that amazing and it's something that I just play out constantly now where a bunch of out popped up it's talking exclusively about hip hop you know you look at Lil Nas X you look at uh, you know we don't give 6 9 much but even something like 6 they just became like universal people and universal memes and that was definitely the thing that blew me away. When I uh, tallied up that little, that little column and saw at the bottom the difference, I was like, oh, my gosh, that is that is really epic. But sometimes that's, yeah, like when I did the Revenge of the Dreamers, uh, actually, you know what the best one was? Tyler, the creator's Igor, mm. being the first number one album that the rapper produced the entire project himself. Right and arranged the whole thing. I was like, "Whoa, that that's amazing! Like that's a real that's a real achievement." And so you know, there's stuff like that all the time that pop up. That yeah, I sit down and be like, "I've got this idea," and I really hope that, that it comes up. I hope so. There's a lot of half done data sets where I started working on something, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's that's not working out." But uh, yeah, it's it's really valuable to come up with something at the end of it. Right. Yeah, and because I, I, I wonder, so I, I've done as a just as a scholar that's outside of hip hop. Like for me, in order for me to pull a study together, it may take me if I, I may have to interview twenty people. I may talk to them for uh, maybe one hundred twenty minutes a piece. Then I have to transcribe all of the data that all of the conversations that we had. Then I have to code all that data just to arrive at a at a thirty page paper. That is a clear and concise uh, informing of the experience that they had that was shared across all the people. And so when I when I read your the work that you're doing, just even on Twitter, I'm like, man, this is this is a lot of work. Like you said, it took you two months to listen to Little Wayne's discography for one word. <laughs> and that's a, that's a that's a major commitment. Whenever you do. The work that you do, what, what's the average amount of time that you spend doing the research before you even approach putting together the numbers? I mean, it depends. Like, 
I usually have uh, two or three big projects on at one time where they take, you know, one, two to three months, which the one at the moment was the death of the third verse and this theory and a lot of people were talking about this, you know, that hip-hop's just not, the, the, the third verse is dead. So I went through every top album since 2004 and it's, you know, it's some same amount of albums. It was like 600 albums and I don't know, 3,000 songs and count how many verses are in each song. And that took about a month. Mm. There's little ones, you know, uh, just running running analytics. You know, the, the Jermaine Dupri uh, quote yesterday about uh, female rap only rapping about stripping. Right. And, and I was like, in the moment, I said, man, uh, that does not sound true off the bat. Even though Cardi B is a stripper, I don't, I've listened to her album and I don't think it's all about stripping. And that only took two hours to run those numbers and, and come back with that. So it just depends. Like, I always want to have these big, big, uh, big projects, uh, like, in play and, and working on behind the scenes. But, you know, obviously I not as far as, as you have my uh, university or college career, I, I have a degree, but like I kind of bring that same, I understand what you're saying when you bring that, I try to bring that same credibility to what I'm doing. I think it's very important. It's very important to double check, triple check everything. You've got uh, sources, and stuff to back you up, like the stuff when I was uh, writing, say, was just referencing and making sure that everything was checked out. Yeah, I can understand that that's an important part of it. Right, yeah. Fidelity of the work is important because here's the thing. Someone's going to read what you publish and they're going to take it for 100% truth. And so it, it just has to be, it just has to be accurate. And so I, so I want to just Deviate because we, we've been on the, on the call for about an hour, so I want, to, I want to ask you this as we get close to wrapping it up. Tell so when did you? So I remember when I was younger, and I heard Commons. I used to love her, and it made me. I appreciated that he had a he had a Midwest perspective about the evolution of hip hop, but he used a woman as the metaphor that he loved. And so usually when I have conversations about people that's in the culture. I ask, and so I'll ask you, when did you know that you loved hip-hop culture and why? You know what it was? Uh, it was actually funny you say common because um, it was a moment of clarity when Jay had that line, uh, truthfully, I want to rhyme like common sense, but I did five mil. I haven't been rhyming like common since. When your sense got that in common, you've been hustling since your inception, fuck perception, go with what makes sense. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> what, what did I just listen to? I was, what did I just listen to? Like, it blew my freaking mind because I, I grew up on rock music. You know, I grew up in uh, 80s dance and Nirvana and Chili Peppers and, and uh, my heart is even just remembering this moment when I, when I listened to the Black Album and I put on my little discman and we went on this trip down the coast and I was sitting backstage of the car and I was like this 15 year old white kid with a lot of acne no nothing like you know I was I had no friends I'm just like man this opening my freaking eyes to the whole world and it made me realize that uh, what I've realized since especially is that hip hop obviously has the most word per minute of any genre. Right. So you can say more than any other any other artist is gonna say in a very short amount of time. I started seeking out artists that are on this level of like speaking on things and just I guess I guess what was really interesting was, you know, I, I started listening lot to Memphis Bleak and Beanie Siegel because obviously they're on rock color and just exposed to a whole new culture and a whole new uh, way of life that I had never seen before and it was like scary to me but uh, I don't know I was just in awe of these people I was in awe of these people and you know when I first heard hip hop like it was Bonnie and Clyde and, and I was like yeah pretty cool this is this is good it's got beats it's kind of poppy 
when I put on that that song and Blackman and heard Jay Z say, I was like, wow. And, and I just started having a look around and not bursting myself in it, observing it and being like, you guys are, are telling serious stories about serious stuff that I've never experienced before. And, and yeah, I was just in awe of them. And ever since then, it's kind of been like storytelling aspect and just learning, learning so much about other people and, and what they have to go through and resist and strength and power. And yeah, that was that was the moment when I heard that line. Uh, it just blew my mind. Right. <laughs> I, I had forgotten about that line. So the Black Album is one of my least favorite Hove albums. And so here, I, when you said that, I'm like, man, that hadn't that hadn't even occurred to me. But yeah, that was that. That's an extra extra dope line. Well, is it is it? Before we go, what do you want my listeners or the Facade Podcast uh, and people that are in, in hip hop in the culture? What do you want us to know that you haven't said yet? Just about your, either about yourself, about hip hop culture. What, what do you what do you want us to know? I don't know, man. Hey, let me think for a second. Uh, uh, I don't know. Like, just no. I'm learning. I'm learning from you guys. Like, I, I don't know. Just, just keep teaching, please. Just, I'm always open to listen. So, if you have something to DM me, message me, like, yeah, but I don't know, like, I don't really have anything else to say on that, you know? I, I think I said everything, yeah. Okay. Well, cool. I, I want to thank you for your time. I re- what time is it there? Uh, it's 11 a.m. over here. Okay, 11 a.m., yes. It's 8.01 here, Central Standard Time. And so, yeah, thank you for... Cool. For giving me the time, thank you for wanting to uh, come on my platform, side podcast. We we growing slowly. Uh, I I have a love for hip hop that is it's it's foundational. Like it's it's part of who I am. Like I'm like when I say I'm a son of hip hop, I am a son of hip hop. I've, I've had the luxury of watching it evolve over time. Uh, so I have a I have a deep appreciation for it, but I also have an appreciation and respect for the work that you do, because again it it is it is not subjective, right? So a lot of people on Twitter go back and forth in their feelings about who they think is the greatest, whatever, based on how it, the work made them feel at a specific point in time. But what I like about your work is that it's subjective, mm-hmm. and it just speaks to the total amount of any category that you're tabulating and how we we can make our emphasis after reading that, the numbers, but like Hope said, you know, the numbers never lie. <laughs> and so I, 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 yeah, appreci- sure. I appreciate sure. the work that you do 100%. Look, man, I appreciate that so much. And I just want to say, like, to you personally, like, I've been listening to your podcast a little bit recently, and like, I, I listen to a lot of and I just want to say, if you can, if you have the time, keep going because it's super informative and it's, it's actually funny a lot of the time. That stuff we're talking about, uh, the being petty and broke, man, that was, that was hilarious with the, the masters of Taylor. And dude, like, I'm just, I'm loving it. Please keep creating content if you have the time and energy to do it because it's super informative and I can feel that I can feel that you have a deep knowledge of hip hop and yeah I'm just appreciative so thank you for inviting me on I really appreciate that and uh, yeah don't don't understand the value of what you're doing. like I know you said it's great, but you know again this is we're, we're, we're just putting stuff out there and it's always going to be out there important when people know stuff and, and discover stuff out there and to be out there for people and yeah I'm just feel blessed to even be asked on this this podcast and I'm going to keep listening so much appreciated well thank you for that thank you for that I appreciate it I'm, I'm going to keep going at it it's, it's summertime I got a, got a lot of ideas and some more um, creative things that we're going to be doing so I'm, I may read some, some stuff by you 
uh, share some stuff with you to get your perspectives about the about the direction that that I'm headed in. And so again, I'll be I'll continue to follow you. I appreciate your time. Once I get this up and running, I'll uh, include you in the in the tweets, and then we can get it out there for the world to hear. Awesome, so much. Thank you, man. Yeah, thank you. Enjoy your evening. You too. All right, peace. All right.